morning. It's an honor to be here with you this morning, worshiping, and uh, want to bring greetings from uh, uh, the believers in Christ up in McHenry, where I have the privilege of, uh, of serving there. And uh, uh, I too am uh, excited for you as a church as you get ready to take what is going to be an uncomfortable, stretching, but by the grace of God, glorious step. And uh, I know a little bit about that. Um, I've served as a, a church planter, uh, planted a church uh, um, in inner city Chicago. And after serving there for about six years, uh, uh, the Lord led uh, my family and I out to McHenry, a uh, very different different environment from where we were in, uh, in inner city Chicago, but to actually lead uh, a church out there through a, uh, through a restart process. Um, uh, the circumstances, the situation was a little bit different than, than what you're facing, but we have just seen God do um, incredible things as uh, um, he has led us along the way. And as we've just sung, um, it's all about him. And when we keep it all about him, then uh, glorious things take place. As we uh, prepare to go in the word together, I too would uh, ask you just to join me as we uh, bow our hearts and our heads as uh, we continue to commend this time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, uh, I, I thank you. I thank you for the privilege of gathering together. I thank you that by your Spirit you lead us in worship. I thank you that you are a God who is worthy of worship. And now, Lord, our prayer would be that for each and every one of us, myself included, that as we turn to your word, that none of us would leave this place the same as which we arrived, but rather that we would be changed by you for the glory of your name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to be negative? Uh, to, to, to see all sorts of good things, but to, to hone in on that one negative, that one downside, that one critical spot. Uh, my background is in the uh, uh, hospitality industry with hotels and restaurants. And uh, uh, so I used to especially enjoy going out to different restaurants with some friends, trying different and new places. Uh, as uh, what's left of my accent may give away, I'm actually from the southwest of England, spent uh, quite a lot of time in London uh, working in the hospitality industry. And so there were always new places to try. But one of the downsides, one of the uh, occupational hazards about being in the hospitality industry is that when you go out to a restaurant, it's very difficult to enjoy it. Because you see, the whole time I'm sat there and I'm looking around and I've got like an eagle eye on the wait staff. And I, I, I'm kind of looking at the decor and I'm checking out the aesthetics and the design. I'm, I'm looking at the menu and I'm not looking so much to see what I want to eat. I'm looking to see how they designed it and whether or not the dishes look like they really go together. And really, I'm just trying to pick this thing apart. And you know what? That was great when I was with other friends who worked within the same industry because we'd chat about this stuff together. But then I'd go out with some other friends and they were tired of it. They didn't want to hear me picking to pieces every single little thing about the place. 
Now, I've been out of that industry for a while now, and so I gradually have gotten better at actually going to a restaurant and actually enjoying the meal, enjoying the environment. But I have to tell you, I still have one little leftover piece, and that is regardless of where I am, if it says soup of the day on the menu, I'm going to ask the... I don't want the soup, but I'm going to ask the waiter or the waitress what the soup of the day is just to see if they know. It's one of those things I'm trying, I'm trying to get rid of that, but it just kind of seems to come. Uh, there are occupational hazards when you work in the hospitality industry for enjoying going out for a meal. And you know, there are sometimes occupational hazards, whether we find ourselves as being a, uh, um, a professional in a particular field, or whether or not uh, uh, it's simply a conversation that we're having with someone else. It is startling how easy it is to ignore a whole bunch of really good and positive stuff and hone in on this one critical thing. We do it with people very easily. I can have a wonderful day with my children. And then at the end of the day, one of them breaks down because they're exhausted. I've got small children. They're exhausted from just a long day, and, and maybe they, they have a tantrum over something, and it seems to just bring a dark spot to the day. And at the end of the day, you kind of reflect on it, and, and the first thing that comes to mind is that dark spot. You ever struggle with being a little bit critical? A little bit critical of yourself? A little bit critical of others? A little bit critical of your workplace? There was good reason to be critical of the church in the ancient city of Colossae. Uh, one of the reasons it was easy to be critical is that, like a lot of churches, they were facing some serious issues. And one of the issues that they were facing was that they had false teachers who had been infiltrating their ranks. And because of that, there were people kind of going off in this direction and people going off in this direction. And yet, as the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to them, around about 60 A.D., he chose not to be critical. In fact, we know from the New Testament letter to the Colossians that there were, were a number of issues, that there was something called the Colossian heresy taking place. We just know nothing about it. And the reason for that is that as he writes to this church that is having some struggles, he teaches them to have a perspective that is different than the perspective that the world has. And so rather than coming into the situation and writing and being critical and saying, you've got an issue here, work it out. You've got an issue here, deal with it. You've got an issue here, correct it. He comes in through his letter and helps them to refocus. And it's with that idea of sharpening our focus, of adjusting our vision, of renewing our perspective, that we find ourselves in Colossians chapter 1 this morning. If you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to turn there. It's in the New Testament, the epistle to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. And in just a moment, we're going to begin in verse 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul starts off by giving 
a greeting, as he does in each of his letters. He simply says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And then, rather than uh, addressing these issues, addressing these struggles, rather than pinpointing the negatives that are going on, he jumps straight in to his mission in this letter of giving them a lens through which to rightly look at the world around a lens through which to rightly look at themselves, to rightly look at one another, to rightly understand. We see this beginning in verse 3. It says, we, this is Paul and Timothy who are writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day that you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So Paul starts off here, and he expresses the fact that he is so thankful about the news that he's heard. Now, this letter is different to most of the others that he wrote in the New Testament because he's never visited this church before. In fact, there's a guy by the name of Epaphras uh, uh, who is referenced here, uh, who apparently was, if you like, the church planter. He established the church there in the city. And somewhere along Paul's journeys, uh, Paul came into contact with this guy, Epaphras, and Epaphras sat down with Paul one day, perhaps over a cup of coffee, and, and discussed uh, what was going on there in the city of Colossae. And now Paul writes this letter, and he says, ever since we heard about you, we have given thanks to God for you. We pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all of the saints. And he explains the situation, and, and he goes on, and he talks about the foundation for this faith and this love. He says the foundation for it is hope. Now, uh, throughout the New Testament, it's not unusual to hear these three words put together, this idea of faith, hope, and love. But here he's explaining that the reason that they give thanks is because of the fact that they love one another, that they have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but that faith, that love is, is built on a foundation of something. And the foundation is the hope that is laid up for them in heaven. Hope is a word that we kind of uh, fling around a lot, and of course we often associate it with this kind of pie-in-the-sky wish. I hope that this happens. I hope that I do this. I hope that this works out for me. But that's not biblical hope. As many of you probably know, biblical hope is a certain, solid foundation. It is something that we can, if you like, take to the bank. And he goes on to explain what this hope is that is 
their faith and their love are built on. It says they have this hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you heard before in the word of truth, which is the gospel. In other words, he is redirecting their gaze. He is giving thanks and he is reminding them of the fact that their hope, that their foundation, that their lens for perspective ought to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we've got hope, and now we've got gospel. Gospel is another word which, if you spend any time in church, you know, gets flung around a whole lot. And it's a word that, uh, uh, that, that many of us know the meaning of as being good news. But sometimes we stop to forget about what this hope of the gospel really is. You see, the hope of the gospel is, is, is something that, that starts in the past, that moves to the present, and that extends to the future. It's a hope which Paul wanted to remind them to lay their lives on. You see, it starts in the past because the reality is that each and every one of us were created by our Heavenly Father, God. That human beings were created in the image and likeness of God. We were created in order to know Him to have fellowship with him. But something broke that fellowship. Something broke that intimate relationship that we were created to have. And that something was the rebellion and the pride was the sin. When we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, to Adam and Eve. And you see, in that rebellion, in that desire to be like God, not only did Adam and Eve fall, not only were they separated from a holy God, but their sin, the consequences of that sin, were passed down from every generation to us. And so not only do we have the mar, the stain, the fracture of Adam's sin on our lives, but we also are pretty good at doing it ourselves too, rebelling against this perfect and holy God. And so, as Paul had said uh, in the letter that he wrote to, to the Ephesians, we were without hope and without God in the world. Hopeless. But we have a God who did not leave us in that state of separation, that state of desperation. We have a God who gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. A Savior who came perfect and without sin, and willingly gave himself as a substitution, dying on the cross in your place and mine, taking on himself my sin and yours. But not only do we have a Savior who died in our place, we have a Savior who rose again to life, and because he rose again to life, he conquered death and hell that we need not fear those anymore. He, he set us free. He gave us forgiveness. But not only has he given us forgiveness, he has, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, given us his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. And his Holy Spirit, day after day, is at work in us, transforming us, prompting us, leading us, equipping us, enabling us, so that we can draw nearer in intimacy with our Heavenly Father and we can be ambassadors for Christ in this world. But it doesn't end there. We have 
the ability to look forward with absolute certainty to the fact that there is coming a day when we will lay hold of our inheritance, that we will be welcomed into eternity by our Savior Jesus Christ, and that we will worship forever before the throne of God. The gospel has effect in the past, the present, the future. And it impacts everything in the life of a believer. Oftentimes, we think of the gospel as being something we need to get out to others, and absolutely we do, but it's also something we need to get into ourselves. Something that we need to revisit. And as Paul is writing this, he gives thanks to God because their faith, their love, it all comes out of this foundation of the hope which is laid up for them. The gospel message, which he refers here to not only being their hope and the gospel, but as being the word, the truth. And so when he could have been critical, he starts off by giving this lens, this reminder, this perspective. Your life, it's founded on the hope of the gospel. And he goes on to talk about the fact that they can rejoice because the gospel is bearing fruit amongst them and it's bearing fruit wherever it goes. What does it mean to bear fruit? Well, it's really to take root, to have effect, and to produce in the lives of the followers of Christ a transformation and something which is a blessing to others. And folks, every genuine follower of Christ over time will bear fruit. Why? Because it's the mark of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. It's the mark of the fact that they've been sealed. And he gives thanks for that. And he gives thanks for a man like Epaphras, who has been faithful in sharing the gospel with him. You know, it's really easy to be negative and critical. It's not so easy to find the positive, uh, the word of encouragement to bring. And sometimes, whether it be with something that's going on in our church, whether it be that it's something to do with somebody else in the church, somebody else in our lives, we seem to be pretty impatient. We seem sometimes to lean toward the negative rather than to celebrate the fact that if somebody is a follower of Jesus Christ, that's a great thing. We had a struggle um, just a little while back with a couple of people in our church. Um, I'm so thankful for uh, the people who uh, call the Orchard Church up in McHenry their home, and uh, it's, it's a really uh, a huge blessing to, to work with them and to minister alongside of them. But we had a little bit of a struggle. As, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this. Sometimes in churches you have some struggles from time to time. And that was that we celebrated some baptisms. And somebody came up to me afterwards. When we do a baptism, uh, we have people come up and they share their testimony before going down and, and into the baptistry to be baptized. These people had recently come to faith. And somebody came up to me afterwards and said, Pastor, it was wonderful to have the baptisms today, but uh, I'm a little concerned about their testimony. I said, oh, really? Tell me about that. And I said, well, 
And they didn't really quote a whole lot of scripture. And uh, I would have liked to have heard the word substitution in there somewhere. And I kind of stopped for a moment. And, and as this conversation unfolded, basically this individual was concerned that they didn't use enough theological jargon. Now, don't get me wrong, theology is important. But these were brand new believers. These were people who had been walking with Christ for a matter of weeks. And, you know, it's very, very easy for us to find something to look at someone else and to say, well, they're not as far along as I would like them to be, and to criticize. Praise God, people are coming to Christ. That's the good news. And it may very well be that there's somebody in your life that kind of irks you a little bit. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff, but there's this one thing that has just kind of been annoying you. It's, certainly there's a time to come alongside and put an arm around somebody and say, hey, listen, we need to talk. But maybe, maybe instead of that critical negative spirit, we need to rejoice in the good things that God is doing in their life. And we need to pray for them. And maybe we need to pray for them in a way kind of similar to the way that the Apostle Paul continues and prays for the church there in Colossae. And I think would have us pray for one another as well. Because here in verse 9, we learn that it's one thing having a perspective. It's one thing having a new lens. It's one thing recognizing that we are founded and established if we're followers of Jesus Christ on the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that should give us identity. But it's another thing translating that hope that we have into habit for life. And you know, sometimes some of us in the church can have these lens of the Gospels on pretty clearly when we look at the world around us. But when we look at ourselves, we kind of take them off a little bit because we're not too concerned about whether or not we measure up, whether or not we are translating the glorious hope of the gospel to the way that we live out our daily lives. It says in verse 9, And so from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Wow. Now, if we were to really unpack this, we'd be here for a really long time. So I'm going to move through this as swiftly as I can. But what a prayer. Folks, if you ever struggle to know how to pray for someone, turn to Colossians chapter 1 and maybe get a couple of pointers out of here because I have got to tell you, if I knew that people were praying for this for me, that would just be of tremendous encouragement. 
Again, he talks to them about the fact that they're being prayed for. We heard earlier how encouraging it was to know that there's a church in Tennessee praying for you. Imagine how those Colossians must have felt to know that the Apostle Paul was praying for them. And he says, this is what I'm praying for you. I'm praying, I'm asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, of God's will. Wow. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I've got to tell you as a pastor, a lot of people come to me and say, Pastor, how, how do I know what the will of God is? Oftentimes there's a deeper question they have under that, and so we get to talk about those sorts of things. But, but it, it, it's, it's a concern that many of us have, and that's a good concern to have. Here Paul says, I've not ceased to pray for you that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And this is that idea of the fact that you would not only know about God, you would not only know his ways, but that you would have the wisdom and understanding to apply that which you know about God, that which you know about his ways, to each and every moment of every day. And we see that unfolding more because in verse 10 it says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now this is a phrase uh, that comes up a number of times in Paul's letters. And I've got to tell you, I love it because I think it's a, I think it's a wonderful picture of what the Christian life should be a, a, about. Because you see, we, we all know how to walk with the exception of perhaps one here. And that will come soon enough. And walking is this idea, this is, this is highly complicated, so um, hopefully your insurance will cover me here. But Walking is about putting one step in front of another. And the Christian life is about being founded, rooted in the hope of the gospel, and knowing, not knowing about God, but taking our knowledge about who God is and his ways that we have here in Scripture and applying it so that we could walk one step at a time in each moment of each day, wherever we go, whatever we do, in a manner worthy of the Lord. Not just Sunday morning. every moment of every day. And as we do this, he says that we may be fully pleasing to him. We can't do anything to earn favor with God. That's not what this is talking about. This isn't talking about somehow paying God back. This isn't talking about doing anything to, to earn his, his merit. God cannot love you any more than he does right now. And he will not love you any less than he does right now. There is nothing that needs to be done. It has been paid for. It has been accomplished. It has been done not because of you or I, because we have nothing to offer before a holy God, but because of Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. No, this is talking about pleasing him 
by living the way that we were created to. And as a father looks at a child who's playing and just enjoying himself and enjoying that's how God looks at a child who is about the purposes for which God created him. It's pleasing to him. It brings a smile to his face. And it says, bearing fruit in every good work, because as we do the will of God, as we apply wisdom and understanding to it, as we do it in a way that brings glory to God, it will bring about fruit. And then it says, he also prays that they would increase in the knowledge of God. Again, this is not just about knowing more about God. This is about growing in intimacy with him. But more than that, he goes on because, you see, we all know that this walking worthy of the Lord, it sounds great in here. But we walk out of those doors and we have flooded basements. We walk out of those doors and we have issues at work and we have the threat of pink slips coming our way. We walk out of those doors and we have family struggles and strife or we get a phone call or we get a flat tire or what life kind of gets in the way do you ever notice that do you ever feel like you're getting distracted from things i don't know about you but i i find oftentimes it's not the big major issues that come into my life that i struggle with the most it's those little annoying things but life can sometimes get in the way of that walking worthy. And so Paul actually goes on to continue to pray for them. Not only that they would know God more and, and, and understand his will more and, and, and walk worthy, but that they would know God's equipping to do that as well. He says in verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Or another translation of that can be, may you be empowered with the power of the might of his glory. And I love this verse because actually the word that is used there is the, is the word from which we get dynamite. So in other words, Paul is praying for them, may you know the dynamite power of God, the explosive power of God at work in your lives. Why? For all endurance, so that we would have endurance. That's perseverance. We'd rather not need endurance. We'd rather things be kind of easy. And, but, but we know that that's not how life is in this world. We need to endure and we need to persevere. And then comes another uh, um, result of, of knowing God's power in our lives. And this one to me seems a little peculiar because he says, and that we might know the result of patience with joy. When I was studying this passage, I had to read that a whole bunch of times. Because I sort of expected it to say patience and joy. But this is one singular thing, patience with joy. Now, there's been a lot of times in my life where I've had to be patient. I don't like it. I'm not very good at being patient. And the idea of being joyful while I'm patient, that's about the furthest thing from my mind. But Paul prays that as they know the equipping power of God, that they would not only know endurance, but they would also know patience with joy. And patience with joy is the ability to wait confidently on God's aid, not complaining, but with an unshakable rest of the soul. 
I want that. And guess what? Here in the Word of God, we don't see stuff that isn't available for us. This prayer that was prayed on uh, by Paul and Timothy on behalf of the Colossian church, this stuff is available for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ today. That we can experience the power, the might of God in our lives. That we can know how to persevere, to endure, endure. That we can know patience with great joy, even in the midst of adversity. Why? So that we can walk worthy of the Lord. And then he goes on to say, in all this, giving thanks to the Father. It's verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness. He has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Scripture talks about the fact when somebody is separated from God because of sin, when they do not know him, it is as if they are walking around, groping around in a pitch black room with no door. But that in Christ, God has reached down into that room, has plucked us out and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, planted us in his life. Essentially, what Paul is saying here is that we can have a fresh perspective on life. We can see others rightly. We can see ourselves rightly. We can understand our mission each and every moment of the day. When we live our lives exclusively for the pleasure of God. Exclusively for the pleasure of God. You know, a lot of us are probably familiar with what it's like to have a singular focus. I would imagine that there are probably some music fans here. There are probably some sports fans here. Musicians. Athletes. And many others have a singular focus in their life. I don't know if you saw the news. Uh, This name may be familiar to some of you, not to others. But yesterday, Amy Winehouse, who is uh, a a musical artist, uh, 27 years old, was found dead. She had lived certainly a troubled life, but had incredible talent. I believe that she received five uh, uh, Grammy Awards in one year alone. A gifted musician. Somebody whose entire life was focused on accomplishing, achieving, being the best. And by the age of 27, she pretty much achieved most of what there was to achieve. And along the road, she had tried all sorts of things to try to add meaning and significance. She'd been in and out of rehab a whole bunch of times, and tragically, yesterday, she was found dead. Don't think that they've officially uh, released the cause of, of death yet. Or you get these, these athletes, these sports stars, who are there from a, a young age out on the field, rain or shine. 
heat or snow. And they're practicing, and they're practicing, and they're practicing. And they grow up, and they're playing, and they're practicing, and they're practicing, and they're playing. And then they get drafted, they get picked. And they're playing, and they're playing, and they're practicing, and they're practicing. And then they get injured. Or they simply are too old to play the game anymore. Everything in life was done with a singular purpose, a singular vision. Folks, whether you've been walking with the Lord Jesus Christ for a day or for 50 years, resources that I've spoken about. I want to let you know that anyone who you've seen on the phone this morning can speak to you more about what it means to follow Jesus Christ. What it means to be someone who can know for sure the will of God. There's others here who probably are thinking, who's this guest preacher coming in and just talking to us about basic stuff of the gospel this morning? I've heard it for years. been walking with the Lord for quite a long time. I've got to tell you, walking with the Lord is hard, and there are times where I get sidetracked. And it may be that you've been on this journey with the Lord for a long time yourself, but you still struggle with this negative, critical spirit. You still struggle with what it means to really walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Still face those times where your focus is distracted in every which direction. Or it's focused maybe on something which isn't running hard after Christ. I'd encourage you to look over this and to pray this prayer for yourself. I'd encourage you to find maybe somebody who you're struggling with a little bit. The Lord knows it anyway. So maybe just in the quietness of your heart this week, to take time and read over these verses and to pray this prayer for that. Because you know as we pray for others, our hearts soften us to work. I encourage you to ask the question, what's your focus? What are you chasing at? Because you see, we tend to look at ourselves, we tend to look at others, we tend to look at our church, we tend to look at the world around us through what we're focusing on, through the lens that we have. If your focus is to uh, be happy, well, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but the reality is that the pains and struggles of this world come along. It can be terribly difficult to do. If all we're about is finding the quickest way to get them. If our focus is to be wealthy, we all know the uncertainty of our economy. And we probably are aware of the fact that enough is never enough. 
Our focus is to make a difference. That's a good thing. But as we fall out of Christ, we get to make a difference in people's life for all eternity. If our focus is to make the best impact, uh, to give the best start we can to our kids, that's great, that's a, a, an admirable thing, but there are no guarantees as to which way they will choose to go. Our focus is to be the best of whatever it is that we do. Eventually, someone might look on But if our focus, if the lens through which we look, is to build our life on the hope of the gospel, and by the power and the grace of Christ to translate that hope that we have into the habit, that we walk worthy of him every day, seeking to please not other people, but living solely for an audience of one. see others, and how it changes every moment of every day. Heavenly Father, for many here, the words of Paul's prayer in Colossians chapter 1 may be known. The message Maybe for them. And yet, Lord, we confess to you this morning that sometimes that which is familiar in our lives becomes routine, mundane, even unimportant. I pray for each one of us this morning that we would reflect on and rejoice in the wonder of the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. I pray that we would grow in the knowledge of your work. I ask, Lord, for my own mind, that in those areas where I can be critical, where I can look with others at others from the wrong perspective, where I look at myself from the wrong perspective, that you would forgive me. And you would help me to set firmly in place the lens of the gospel that I might see others right. That I might see myself right. And that as my perspective is changed, as I see the world as you see, that the hope that is mine, the hope that is ours in Christ, would by the power of your Holy Spirit translate into the habit of the way in which we conduct ourselves day and day. Lord, I thank you for faithful men and women. I thankful, I thank you for those in whose hearts you are moving and working. And each day. And I ask, Lord, that my words would fade away and that yours would be. That in all things, instead, in all things in our lives, 
that you would get your 14. In Christ's name.